Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. So because of me being away and then because of uh, Mother's Day and maybe something else too, we, we've, we're going to finish a series this morning that I began May 7th, I think it was, uh, on Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, this will be part three this morning. Uh, and the, the last part, as we talk about, uh, it all started with Ron Hamilton's funeral. I'll mention that in a few minutes, but we're going to finish here in Genesis chapter 32. So let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to begin reading verse 24 down to the end of the chapter. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince has Hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed? And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose up, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer today. Father, thank you again for your goodness. Thank you for answering our prayers uh, regarding uh, precious Damien and Micah and the Smith family. Just pray you'd bless them and thank you for bringing them all home, and thank you, Lord, for the way you worked, uh, answering our prayers regarding Josh. We just lift him up to you, pray for your great blessing upon him, and uh, thank you, Lord, for the way you opened doors and just everything that went on. We rejoice in that. And thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that you are sufficient, your grace is sufficient, and we can rest in knowing that you are the all-wise, omnipotent, loving, good God. And I pray that you'd help us today as we rejoice in you, as we learn what it means to rejoice in the Lord, and I pray that you would be glorified in everything. Father, there may be some folks either online or, or with us here that have never been born again. I pray that you'd open their heart and their eyes to the glorious light of the gospel, that they would be saved, that they would have the assurance that their names are written in the book of life, and as John would say, that they might know that they have eternal life. And so we ask your blessing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you... All right, before we begin, I want to just remind our deacons and our pastoral staff. We have pastoral staff. Charlie Noble. <laughs> what a blessing. Uh, we're going to have a brief meeting after the morning service, men, in my office. So uh, we'll scoot in there right away to so get, get you on your way. Take your Bibles, please, again, turn to, to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. So 
On May 7th, um, I began this series, Rejoice in the Lord, based on a funeral service that I saw online of Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate, affectionately called, who had passed away after, I think, five years of battling uh, dementia and um, and his funeral was two hours long. It's available online. Anybody wants that? If you haven't seen it, you probably have to watch it in parts. But but I was so blessed. Uh, I I've met him several times. Just a humble, gracious man that loved the Lord and produced really Christ honoring music that that has blessed my soul. Uh, I sang in some choirs that he directed. Uh, not only did he direct them, the songs he wrote. And in some of them, he would share the stories of, of behind the writing of it. It was just such a blessing. Uh, and, and he's been a blessing to so many in our camp. <clears throat> so uh, he shared in one of the videos we showed um, of his song, the song he's known for, Rejoice in the Lord, that when he was diagnosed with cancer in his eye and had to have his eye removed, uh, the Lord, uh, he, he said he camped out in the book of Philippians, and uh, so we did a little bit of that on that day, May 7th, where we just went through Philippians. We're going to be doing that soon in the morning service. We're just going to start going through the book of Philippians because it is so awesome. I kind of gave you the trailer for that was May 7th. And then the next uh, next time was May 21st. That was part two, where where in the book of Philippians, Paul's going through all kinds of difficulties. He's in prison when he writes the letter and all kinds of things, quote unquote, go wrong. And yet in everything, as Paul's writing and explaining these things, he then says, rejoice in the Lord throughout the book. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so we, and, and Ron Hamilton lived that out. So we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, the first message on May 7th was the exhortation. Rejoice in the Lord always from Philippians. Uh, the second message, which was May 21st, was the escape. We went to Psalm 62. And here, here's the thing. Here was the premise. The thing that drove, drove it home to me. There was another verse that came to my mind during this whole time. Paul said this, Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. How often are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Always. And again I say, rejoice. And it reminded me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. They're, they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? In everything, give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so the, the, this thought came to me. Is there ever a time where, where if you have to rejoice in the Lord always, does that mean we can never express that, um, that we're having a hard time? that things aren't going real well right now, that things are not okay? Are we just supposed to, you know, grin and bear it and just smile and be shiny to everybody? Are we supposed to do that? Well, Psalm 62, uh, which we looked at, again, the 21st, the psalmist says, pour out your heart to the Lord. God wants us to communicate to him. And that's what Psalms is. Have you, have you spent time in Psalms? I have found that when I'm going through my most emotional lowest, and believe me, if you, if you don't feel like your emotions get enough challenge through your life, go in the ministry. 
Okay. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I've got enough emotional stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm a guy, and guys tend we not to, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't feel emotions. We don't show emotions, you know. We're tough guys. And honestly, I was not an emotional person as a young man. I, didn't, I never cried when I watched a movie. And then I had kids. And now I cry at stupid movies, my kids will tell you. Um, and before I became a pastor, I had no idea that the human emotion, that men's emotions could be stretched as far as they are, and, and the things I've had to go through. And so during this time, I have learned, and I've gone to the book of Psalms so many times, because that's what they are. David, all the, you know, um, the different psalmists are pouring their heart out to God. And if you go through Psalms, you know, those men that wrote that, especially primarily David, they weren't always okay. And then the book of Job. Job poured his heart out. Job did a lot of complaining. But he was not condemned for it. Now, Israel did a lot of complaining against the Lord, is the way it's worded, and they were condemned for it. So, you know, what's the idea there? Well, there are times, folks, when you and I can express that we're not okay, but it does not mean we're not rejoicing in the Lord. And again, Ron Hamilton, just since I mentioned him, he and his family went through a whole lot. Having a son who took uh, acne medication that is no longer prescribed because it messes with people's mind, and then he became schizophrenic and ended up taking his life. Uh, and I, I remember going to a music college right after Jonathan took his life, and Shelley was up there teaching piano classes, and uh, there were tears. But uh, just amazing, amazing couple, amazing family. And what I want to do today... A text came to me early on in this series where uh, a man, a human being, this, this, is, this is a weird story. There's, it's, it's only happened once, mentioned in Scripture. It doesn't happen often. It's only happened this once. And it's a, it's, a, it's a strange, bizarre situation in Genesis 32 where a man, Jacob, wrestled with God. I want you to think about that concept, wrestling with God. And, and literally, you know, he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the omnipotent, all-powerful, sovereign creator of the universe. Now, that boggles my mind, because in some sense, Ananias and Sapphira wrestled with God, and God struck them dead. I mean, there, you think of how many people in the Old Testament... The Syrian army and, and the people of Israel that wrestled with God, theoretically, uh, there was no wrestling. I mean, they, God smote them. And so why would, this is why it's so unique. You've got this man, Jacob, who was not so shiny. I'll tell you why I'm using that phrase. Uh, and, and yet here, God wrestled with him. And there are times, folks, and as we, so we're just going to look at Genesis 32 as we close this series, because you and I can rejoice in the Lord when things are not okay, when we're having a hard time. It doesn't mean 
that we, you know, we, can, we have to just keep it all in and just shut up, don't say anything, just smile, don't ever let anyone know your problems. It's not what it's saying. It's not what it means to rejoice in the Lord. There's st- no matter how bad it gets, you and I have reason to rejoice in the Lord. So since the last time I saw you, uh, I was away for 10 days, the last two Sundays. Uh, since then, I've at- attended uh, Carl Dietz's funeral. Many of you were praying for him. And then I attended my father's funeral. So this whole thing started this way. Um, back in January of this year, as, as we turned the, the page New Year's Day, as we look forward to this year, we were anticipating that my dad was going to turn 90 in September. That's amazing. I mean, I'm pretty old myself. But to have a dad that's, that's lived to 90 is just amazing. And then on January 24th, he had some slurring of his speech, and he stumbled a little, and we immediately thought my dad had a stroke. And so we called 911, and he was not happy about that. Um, and he was diagnosed with a tumor, a high-grade glioblastoma on, in his right temporal lobe of the brain, which was seven centimeters. And um, we had a decision to make. He had a decision to make. If he didn't have surgery, this was a, uh, in fact, I think tell how they called it an angry tumor. Like, it's mean and nasty. So we were given two choices as we met with the doctors. No surgery, and this was, again, this is, you know, when, when a doctor gives you a diagnosis or something and says, you know, like, for example, Carl Dietz, they said to Carl, you have, um, I think they said you have 11 weeks to live back in March of 2022. He lived just over a year, April. And, and so, Understand, these are human beings that are just given their best shot based upon all the information they have. They're not God. They don't claim to be. If they do claim to be God, look out for that. God's the one that our hands, you know, our lives are in his hands. So here's what they laid out for us. If my dad didn't have surgery, he'd have four to five months to live. So no surgery meant four to five months to live. And he would be able to be with my mom 24-7, but he would need skilled nursing care. Or... They could do surgery, and then he would have 12 to 15 months to live. Many months in the hospital, followed by rehab facility, and then radiation and maybe chemo. And no promises that things would get better. And he was of high risk because of his age. And and here's the big thing. And he wouldn't be with mom as much as he would if he didn't get surgery. And that was the big thing. So he and my dad ended up, talked to my mom. He said, you know what, let's go for it. And and he he fought it. He got the surgery, and then with his response to the surgery, we decided, uh, because he was rapidly declining, we decided that, you know what, it would be best. Dad and Mom, just they just wanted to be together. I told our church, maybe on prayer meeting, I said, my siblings and I have just seen a, a love story unfold in our life with our mom and dad. They just, they love one another. I have this tender picture of them cuddling in the hospital bed. Uh, it, we just, we're so blessed by that. So blessed by that. Uh, we decided, you know what, forget the radiation. Mom and Dad just want to be together. Let's do whatever we can to keep them together. And then, of course, Dad passed. He had surgery February 2nd, and then he passed away May 27th of this year. So in light of all that, you all heard Pastor Griffith. Was was he here just last Sunday? Uh, so he's my pastor, and I love that he comes here so you get to see who influenced my life. I love that man. I appreciate him. Uh, I only sat under his ministry for five years. He pastored uh, one church that I was at for 26 years. Uh, but he, he just preached the word. And I know you all got fed. Amen. 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 
Um, so I was writing an email to him, and uh, we had just found out all this stuff about my dad and, you know, all this stuff. So I sent him an email, and then I sat back and reread the email, and I thought, man, that is a, just nothing but, whoa, you know, like Eeyore. Uh, you know, if Pastor Griffin was having a good day, I, I could send this email and just ruin his day, you know, <laughs> just, whoa. And so I just had to do something, so at the end I, I put, but God is good. <laughs> you know, like that makes everything better. And so that's got me thinking of all this stuff about rejoicing in the Lord. So let's look at, here's a man, Jacob, that wrestled with God and he didn't die. And I submit to you folks, while you and I will never physically wrestle with God, the circumstances are di- were different that Jacob, because of Jacob and who he was and when he was, uh, you and I will never have this experience literally physically But I'm convinced more and more that God does wrestle with us. And notice the way I said that. So let's look at Genesis chapter 32. Three things we're going to see this morning. First, the situation. Then the struggle. And then the shine. Remember I talked about the shine. So look at Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24. Uh, In fact, let me back up for a little bit. Genesis, or uh, talk about Jacob. God had promised Jacob that through him would come a great nation through whom the whole world would be blessed. Jacob was a continuation of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. He was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jacob uh, was the promised one through Abraham. And yet, Jacob was a, a man filled with fears and anxiety. He had a brother named Esau who vowed to kill him. Uh, he had his uncle Laban, uh, or not his uncle, his uncle, cheated him for years. His two wives had an adversarial relationship with each other. And so Jacob eventually fled after serving Laban, I think for like 20 years, or at least 14, maybe I think even more. He finally fled Laban, took his family, and... Um, and kind of fled, and, and he camped at a place that was chosen uh, by the angels in Genesis 32, um, and angels ministered. In fact, in our last song, we talked about angels ministering, and angels came and ministered to Jacob. And he sent, uh, he found out, he sent a, some spies, or not spies, but he sent a group of people ahead because he was uh, going to meet up with Esau. And uh, Esau, again, he was the one that vowed to kill him. Because Jacob had really betrayed him. In fact, somebody, somebody said this about Jacob. Listen to this. Jacob's life was a never-ending struggle. His family was characterized by deep-seated hostility. Jacob was a con artist who had been conned, a liar who had been lied to, and a manipulator who had been manipulated. So that was Jacob. And so now he's ready to meet up with his brother Esau, having no idea, you know, he knows that Esau vowed to kill him. And so he sends these, a group of people, ambassadors ahead, and finds out that Esau is coming to meet him with an army of 400 some, 400 men. It's in Genesis 32, 3 through 6. Now, you put two and two together, if you're Jacob... And your brother's coming with an army of 400 people. And this is the guy that vowed to kill you. What are you going to think? I'm a dead man. 
So he splits up his family and all his possessions, sends, uh, and, and he, he, he was a very wealthy man. So he sent a, a several different groups ahead, camels as gifts to Esau to try to placate and appease what he viewed as great anger and hatred and animosity. So he sent a group, then sent another group, then sent another group. Then with whatever was left, he separated them, put them on the other side of the river. So if his brother did come and kill him, uh, that his family would be spared. And then he went back over the river, it's believed. And this is where we pick up with verse 24, Genesis 32, 24. And Jacob was left alone. And as um, one, one commentator said, uh, he was left alone in the desert wilderness and he had the ultimate restless night. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You think, I'm, I'm probably going to die tomorrow, maybe? And then it says this, Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now this man... He's only identified in this this text as a man. Uh, I want you to understand that most Bible-believing commentators understand and and teach that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus became a man, his incarnation, he appeared in what we call a a Christophany or a theophany. It's It's an appearance of God. And it was the pre-incarnate, in other words, here Jesus, this was Jesus, taking the form of a human, but not in incarnation. Uh, in fact, Abraham, you may remember, uh, Abraham came across three angels as men. One of them was God, and that was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, a Christophany, another word they say. And so we learn later that this man is Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And so now I want, um, what's very important in this text is pronouns. You know, pronouns are important. And I want you to look, we're going to go through, because uh, I've read this many times and, and never really concentrated on who was saying what, because a lot of times it'll say, he said this, he did this, this person did this, and it's important we understand what's going on. So let's just go through these verse, this verse, verse 24, and, and look at the pronouns. Genesis um, 32 at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him. That would be God. And we learn later in the text and in other places that what was about to happen was Jacob wrestling with God in the form of a man somehow. So, he uh, wrestled a man with him until break, the break of day. And, and when he saw, that's, now this is the pre this is God, this is Jesus. When he saw that he prevailed not against him. Now, I've, read, I've read that so many times and never really concentrated. And I just assume if a man is going to fight God, who's going to be the one that's not prevailing? The man. And I always assumed it was Jacob. But the more I studied, it's like, oh no, even, even the context, it's pretty clear that the pre-incarnate Jesus is the one that's not prevailing. That, again, back up, who are we talking about? We are talking about God. How can God not prevail against a man? But when Jesus was incarnate on this earth, 
And remember, the army came and he just spoke a word and knocked the, the soldiers over. And all he had to do was speak a word and he could call 12 legions of angels. And yet here he's wrestling with Jacob and he saw that he was not prevailing. And so, verse 25, he touched, this is now Jesus, the, the pre-incarnate of Christ, he touched the hollow of his thigh, that's his tendon, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is now still, we're not talking about Jacob. This is, this is the other man, which would be God. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, this is now Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. This is, I mean, isn't, it, isn't this strange? I mean, it is. It's, we, don't, we, don't, we never read anything in the Bible where, where God is coming and wrestling with a man. And he said unto him, this is now, this is still the, the man, God, what is thy name? And by the way, remember, when Jesus was incarnate, he would ask questions, not because he was ignorant of things, but because of whatever he was going to say or teach to establish something. He was the all-knowing God. And so why would he have to ask Jacob his name? Well, because of what was about to happen. Verse 27, he said unto him, what is thy name? And he, Jacob, said, Jacob, which means supplanter. In fact, they were, Jacob and Esau were twins. And they were battling with one another since before they came out of the womb. <coughs> you remember when um, was it Esau was born, Jacob held the heel? Uh, you know, I mean, and, and this, would like, this, was, this would become a picture of their whole life as they wrestle with one another. And he said, what is thy name? He said, Jacob. Again, that means supplanter. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Look at the word power. This is one of those things where the King James translators said in their preface, there are some difficult words that are, that are hard to understand. So oftentimes they would sometimes put alternate readings. They would say the Hebrew could be this or that. And this is one of those ones where the word power... Uh, could have, and seems to from the context, have the idea of not just power, but that there's a struggle going on. In fact, I think some translations put, uh, thou hast struggled with God. And, and that, King James translators would not condemn that. And thou hast prevailed. So clearly, we're talking about some kind of conflict. And so when God changes his name, uh, because he literally wrestled with God. And he prevailed. Wow. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. Now, Jacob didn't know who he was wrestling. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob, now here's the key. Look, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. And that's the idea of the, what the term means. And he blessed him there. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Verse 30. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose up and he halted. That is, he, he, he limped upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is the, uh, upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. So 
This would forever change uh, uh, the habit of the Jews for meeting part of the animal in the tendon where Jacob was smitten by God. Now again, this is a very odd situation, but it's also very clear that it happens. This, this was a very real struggle where God wrestled with Jacob. I want to share some things um, First of all, this, remember what was going on with Jacob. Here's a man that was so filled with anxiety. He was terrified. Um, he was waiting for Jake, uh, his brother Esau to come and probably kill him or something. And, uh, and he did not get a good night's sleep. And it says in Hosea chapter 12, listen to what Hosea says about what we read here in Genesis 32 about Jacob. Hosea 12, verse 3 and 4 and 5. He took his brother by the heel in the womb And by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel. By the way, this is also called the angel of the Lord. And other places in the Old Testament you'll see that same idea. The angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So here it says the angel, and he prevailed. And here's what it doesn't say in Genesis 32. And he wept. So Jacob wept. And made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. So clearly, this was God. And Jacob wrestled with God. One commentator made this this point. This is a great point. Um, James Montgomery Boyce used to be a pastor in Philadelphia before he passed away. He said, the thing to note is that Jacob was wrestling with God. And I love this. Pay attention because this, this is like a preaching thing. He said, in this incident, at least, God was, God was his adversary. Until now, this possibility had not entered Jacob's mind. He had possessed an enemy in Laban. He anticipated an enemy in Esau and was terrified of him. But God? God was no enemy. God was a benign, friendly, heavenly father figure to whom he could turn when things got rough, but ignore when he wanted to order his own life and formulate his own plans. Wow, doesn't that describe sometimes us? Maybe? Let me read that again. You ready to be convicted? Don't, don't go blah, 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 blah. Okay, listen, listen. I want you to listen to this again. But God... God was no enemy. God was a benign, friendly, heavenly father figure to whom he could turn when things got rough, but ignore when he wanted to order his own life and formulate his own plans. There was nothing to fear from God. How wrong Jacob was. He had been using God all this while. Now he would discover to his horror that God will not be so used so indefinitely. God is God. What an amazing thing. And I think that's true, is it not? And this, in fact, this sets the scene for why this whole thing took place, according to many. And I tend to agree with them. In fact, let me just read you the point that is brought out. What is most significant, same commentator, voice. What is most significant about this text is that the man, Jesus, is said to have wrestled with Jacob and not that Jacob wrestled with the man. Read the beginning. You see how it starts. Which would be the wrong way around. 
This passage is primarily, uh, or we must not think, as many commentators have suggested, that this passage is primarily an encouragement to do what we would call prevailing prayer. It is not that Jacob was seeking God so earnestly that when, when, he, when God, as it were, got close to him, he grappled with him and refused to let him go until he blessed him. It is true that Jacob later begged for a blessing, but at the beginning, it is not Jacob who seeks God to wrestle with him. Rather, it is God who comes to wrestle with Jacob to bring him to a point of both physical and spiritual submission. That's an amazing point. I had never thought of that. I always thought, you know, Jacob was the initiator. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hold of God. and No, God wrestled. God, you know, he's just minding his business alone at night. And all of a sudden, I guess a hand grabbed him and started this all-night-long wrestling match. It was God who was wrestling with Jacob. So listen to what another commentator, A.W. Pink, says. Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to gain some object from him. As to what this object is, the best of the commentators are agreed. It was to reduce Jacob to a sense of his nothingness, to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us through him the all-important lesson that is recognized that is recognized weakness lies our strength paul said in corinthians he said when i am weak then i am strong what an amazing thing you know i'm reminded of the church in laodicea in revelation chapter uh, three they did not see their need for god they said we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and i think that's where jacob was See, I'm good. You ever say that? Look, I'm good. Are we really good? And I don't mean good in the sense of salvation. But sometimes we say, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I got this. And you know, you know that maybe Jacob would have worded it that way if he lived in our day. But Jacob was purely, he was manipulating. He was in control. He was, he was the king, the Lord of his own life. And God was not content with that. I have come to realize that God pursues us like he pursued Jacob. Now, he doesn't do it like Jacob where it was a a real physical battle, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But theoretically and emotionally and, you know, remember what um, Ephesians 6.12 says? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, uh, the rulers of the darkness, the wickedness. But folks, maybe also our battle, since it's not with people, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I've always looked at that Ephesians six twelve verse as, you know, people are not the enemy. But I also realize that, you know what, sometimes God wrestles with us through other people. Not just in a, oh, this is an attack from Satan. Well, yes, Ephesians six twelve does allow for that. But could it be that God is wrestling with us through people he puts in our life because he's trying to get something from us? Submission. A realizing that without him we can do nothing. And so he will use people in our lives to humble us so that we stop depending on our own strength. And that 
very likely was the, the lesson that Jacob had to learn. And maybe, maybe it's the lesson that you and I have to learn. It's an amazing thing, this whole story. Paul, I quoted Paul, but let me just share that verse. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. You remember that situation in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul had some kind of physical malady, probably. Uh, He just calls it a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed. He's like, I got this, and I'm going to pray that, Lord, would you please get rid of this trial? This is really inconvenient. Would you please remove my thorn in the flesh? And he prayed three times. And God answered and it wasn't what Paul wanted to hear. See, if it was just if prayer is just us getting our way, it's just a form of manipulation. Like, Lord, I've been asking you for this for three years now. Come on, where are you? Like God is simply a genie. God basically told Paul, Nope, I want this in your life. And Paul said, Man, and he threw a hissy fit, didn't he? I mean, second Corinthians right there. He's Falls on his back, kicking his nose. He didn't do that. He said, therefore, or when God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I think that's the lesson. I think that's why Jacob wrestled with God. God was saying, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He touched the hollow of his thigh. The thigh muscle apparently is the strongest muscle in the human body. And Jacob would forever walk with a limp from that point on as a reminder of the lesson that he had learned. That, and many believe that from this point on, Jacob was no longer in charge of his life. And he allowed God to be in full charge. So Paul said, most gladly, therefore, once he, once he got the answer and, and he digested it, he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Folks, that's what God wants for us. Is God wrestling with you? Uh, Maybe through some difficult person. Sometimes people can be thorns in your flesh, can't they? Yeah. But did you ever think that maybe that's God trying to wrestle with you? So that you would yield completely to him? So let's talk about this. Go back to Ron Hamilton. Rejoice in the Lord always. I am of the firm conviction, and I didn't always feel this way. In fact, I wrote an article that um, will be coming out in the Keystone Baptist uh, that is basically a summary of what I've been teaching over the last couple years, hermeneutics class and some other through messages. I'll put it on the back uh, bulletin board when it comes out, but um, I meant basically it's about truth. You've heard some of you that were part of it. Remember what we've said, that truth never fears being questioned. Okay. Truth welcomes to be being questioned. And so when somebody reacts when you question something, uh, usually that's a kind of a warning sign. So truth doesn't react to being questioned. In fact, truth welcomes questioning because that's how truth is established. And so I have, I have learned when I grew up um, that we were told that if the church, the official church I went to, did not approve of some literature... It did not have the imprimatur, which is Latin for let it be printed, then we were not allowed to read it. And they really emphasized that. If something did not have the church's official approval, you should not read it. 
I violated that law. I read some tracts that were not approved of the church. I heard the gospel and I got saved. And I also saw that, you know, when Paul was preaching to the Bereans, they weren't just, oh, it's St. Paul. They searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You're questioning Paul. Paul welcomed questions. He welcomed examination. And in fact, Luke said these were more noble. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures to make sure those things are so. So folks, I, I have taken a policy that whenever someone criticizes someone's teaching or doctrine, um, you know, I initially thought, oh, that's slander. But you know what the Bible says? Be not many teachers or masters knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. I encourage you, if there ever comes a book, and I have such wide influence worldwide, that there's probably going to come a book out against me. I mean, you know, I'm building an empire. But if there ever is a book, you know, Steve Lyon, watch out, his teachings are dangerous. Go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it. And, um, and so over the years, there have been books that have come out by people that I have appreciated, people that I benefited from. Um, and, and sometimes there's been books written by some top fundamentalist leaders and the people that, that love this person just say, oh, that's slander. There's a book by a guy that I've actually kind of mentioned and um, it's called Fundamental, Fundamental Seduction. And I've actually... I've actually spoken out against guys like Jack Hiles and Peter Ruckman. And in both times, we've lost people that were coming to our church because I know they esteemed them. And it's not like I'm trying to lose people. But there's a new documentary that's apparently on Amazon Prime. I haven't watched it yet. And it's really against and a ministry that I was blessed by. Uh, it's against the Duggar family primarily. It's called Shiny Happy People. Shiny... And I thought about that. You know, it's it's somewhat slanderous, but you know what, folks? Truth does not fear being questioned, and it, it's it's not from believers. Understand that. In fact, these, these uh, the producer of that series said, you know, people that were and there were a lot of people watching the show. They were watching misogyny. You know, like and, and people have accused us of that. Misogyny means we're anti-female. Now, I believe, folks, in fact, I hope to watch that sometime because we can always learn. We need to be open to what our critics say. There's, there's, a, there's a, a web website called recoveringgrace.com which shares people's concerns, and some of them are legitimate. There's another podcast called Recovering Fundamentalists. I listen to that because I agree with them on some things. There's some fundamentalist groups that, that clearly... They're not, they're not where they ought to be. We need to welcome that. Truth does not fear being questioned. But, you know, so I thought about this idea of shiny, happy people. And I thought, well, isn't that better than being a grumpy, miserable person? You know, I was out in the church as I was coming in this morning. There was a piece of litter, trash on the parking lot. So I walked over to get it, and a lady was walking by. And I put on a big smile, and I said, good morning, and I, but of course, I'm thinking about the shiny, happy people, and I'm like, oh, well, now I'm being a shiny, happy person. You know, I should have I looked at her and said, what are you looking at? 
you know? I mean, what, what are we supposed to do, you know? You, we want to be happy people. Ron Hamilton, man, God bless that guy. And, and I appreciate during the funeral, two-hour funeral, his child, his, his wife said he wasn't perfect. And, and may we never present ourselves as perfect. I appreciated Dave's message two weeks ago. Um, man, he humbled himself and shared his struggle. And I'm sure all of you are thinking, oh, I thought he was spiritual. No, we all struggle, don't we? Do we? We do. And I appreciate that, that open, that humility. And Ron Hamilton, God bless him, you know, he was, he was a happy, shiny person because he could smile, but he wasn't perfect and he was very humble. He'd be the first to admit. So let's talk about this idea of rejoicing in the Lord always. Does it mean we always need to be shiny, happy people that we can never be sad, discouraged, or downcast? That doesn't mean that. Again, look at the Psalms. And I believe, folks, sometimes we may, we may think, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, and we're really not okay. And God wrestles with us. God will put people or obstacles in your life. And you and I are thinking, man, that, you know, that's Satan's using that person. And, and maybe I think sometimes if God were up there, when we get to heaven, he'll say, remember that person that I put in your life as a thorn in your side and you thought... This was the devil coming to you. I was trying to get your attention. We need to be alert to those kind of things. God wrestles with people. Now, he's, he's wrestling. He's, he's wanting many to be saved. That's why he's long-suffering. But I think that the way he wrestled with Jacob, he didn't just smite him dead, uh, is, is the way he will deal with us. God pursues us. Hebrews 12, very clear. Whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you've been born again, you've been washed in the blood, God may be wrestling with you. Is there anything God's trying to get your attention with? And maybe you're, maybe you're being like, oh, I'm just rejoicing in the Lord always. I'm just smiling because I have to always present a positive front. And God may not want you to be okay right now. He may want you like Jacob to say, wait a minute. You're not okay. I'm wrestling with you because I want to get your attention so that you learn to depend on me and not yourself. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this whole idea. Thank you, Lord, for the, the godly people in our lives that are examples and um, just consistent godly testimonies. Father, thank you for for people that try to uphold a high standard with humility uh, and, and aren't arrogant about it. And, and Lord, I know that you want us to be holy. You want us to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you. But you don't want us to come across as perfect or sinless. Lord, help us to have that proper balance Help us to rejoice in the Lord always, uh, even in whether we go to prison, whether we have opposition, all those things that Paul went through in Philippians. Uh, through it all, Father, may we learn to give thanks and rejoice in you so that we can bring glory and honor to you. Help us with these things, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.